0: Early stage development of batteries, like way way before electric cars were even a thought, was actually inspired by how electric eels generate their own power.
1: I did not know that.
0: Yeah, the way that an electric eel works is still kind of essentially being used to determine how an, a battery in an electric vehicle might work today. So that's fascinating. And we could even end up at a point where we have sort of batteries that generate their own power. So you you know you wouldn't have to sit around waiting to charge and all those kind of things. So it'll get there.
1: Now I can't quite get the image of an eel swimming around under the hood of my car out of my head. More excited though about the thought of not having to sit around and wait for my electric car to charge. Welcome back to Lives of Tomorrow. My name is Carla Bazzari and I'm the CEO of WGSN, the world's leading trend forecasting company. On this podcast, we talk about how we'll all live our lives in the future. And today we're exploring the future of natural intelligence, focusing on biomimicry, which is the process of technologies inspired by forms, processes and systems found in nature. So back to our guest today. His name's Matt Zara. He's a trend forecaster at WGSN and editor of WGSN Consumer Tech. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. If you could introduce yourself for our listeners.
0: So I'm Matt Zara. I'm the trend forecaster and editor for our consumer tech team. My focus most of the time is on like emerging technologies. I think I'm also a very big tech skeptic. As much as I'm optimistic, I think I really want to sort of hone in on how tech can genuinely improve our lives and the technologies that are emerging that will actually kind of close digital divides rather than widen them.
1: Perfect. Okay, so to kick things off, maybe you could tell our listeners if there's a moment or a person in your career that was really pivotal in getting you to where you are today.
0: Yeah, so one person I always like shout out is um I did a really brief internship at Adidas ages ago now. And there was a guy called Chris Watt who worked there. And he had worked as a teacher before, so it just meant he had this kind of real way about him. He was very patient, very kind, very sort of generous with his time. I think he was really, really good at helping me realise what I was good at, helping me kind of recognise the things I enjoyed doing, the things I was less keen on, and just kind of pointing me in the right direction for the future, sort of opening doors for me, always being willing to kind of meet up for a coffee and keep me kind of in the loop with opportunities. So yeah, shout out to him if he's listening.
1: Amazing. I love that. Okay. So we've got a really interesting topic to talk about today, which is biomimicry. There are going to be lots of people who've never even heard that word before. So can you explain what is it? Is it a process? Is it a thing? And I guess more importantly, how does it or could it affect our lives in the future?
0: This sort of design or I guess production of materials or structures or systems that are all modelled on nature. So I think... It's something that it's really important to kind of get into at the moment because so many of the solutions for kind of modern problems that we face can already be found in nature. I think, you know, especially during the pandemic, we realized the sort of value of connecting back to the natural world. I think that's had a real lasting impact. And I think it's really important from a sustainability perspective that we sort of move away from our current relationship with nature, which is very extractive and then towards something more collaborative. And by realising that we are sort of part of nature and mimicking or reflecting the structures found in nature, I think it's a way that we can sort of protect the planet better and ultimately protect ourselves.
1: How does biomimicry and technology, so the products that we're all using day in, day out, how do those two things come together?
0: Well, I think biomimicry is like, it's something that's been around for ages and there's lots of kind of applications that we're very you know, familiar with already. And a lot of the time that has been in materials. So it's things like, I don't know, shark skin, inspiring wetsuits and things like that. And that's, that's great, but there's so many tech developments that have come from nature as well. So something like solar panels that was inspired by photosynthesis in plants, or even something like an airplane that was inspired by how birds take flight. So it's something that's been going on forever, but it's sort of evolving now that we're not just looking at kind of the biomechanics or the kind of skin of animals. We're also looking at how they think and kind of interact with one another. So that's been really, you know, influential on tech as well, because it's everything from kind of developing, you know, artificial intelligence and autonomous vehicles. And it's kind of, Yeah, moving beyond
1: that now. So you've created a forecast which is all about this particular topic. You're encouraging brands to invest in this right now. What are the benefits if you're a kind of commercial brand and you want to be selling loads of products to consumers? Why is this important right at this moment in time?
0: I think it's a really good way to tie into your kind of wider environmental goals. Because like I said before, so many of those solutions can be found in nature. And By kind of investing in that, you can help protect it and then you can help find more solutions in the future. I think it also ties into something we talk about a lot at WGSN, which is how you can shift to becoming like a regenerative business model. I think nature is, well, it's inherently regenerative and it's almost kind of the best example we have. So by kind of mimicking and reflecting what goes on in nature, there are really easy ways to kind of help push your business towards that regenerative model and i think ultimately without biodiversity without protecting nature there is no planet at all and (laughs) there's nowhere to sell your product so it's long-term thinking but i think can have real benefits and really pay off
1: it's always nice to have some positivity when we're when we're thinking about the future you know you've already said this isn't necessarily a new idea In your forecast, you quoted Steve Jobs, needing no introduction, Um, and the quote you said was from him, I think the biggest innovations of the 21st century will be at the intersection of biology and technology. A new era is beginning. So I was going to ask whether you think he's right. I think clearly you do agree with what he's saying. Do you think it's taken longer than maybe expected for us to really understand the value of this?
0: I think... It's taken a long time in the West, would be my caveat. I mean, there are so many, you know, indigenous populations out there that are already, you know, well aware of what it means to be connected to nature and how, you know, civilizations can benefit from that. So I think it's actually just kind of, it's taken a long time in the West, but given the way a lot of, you know, the kind of the world works, that's less surprising. And I think, yeah, I agree with that Steve Jobs quote, because I just think, a lot of the best inventions that we've seen over the past, you know, over the past hundred years have been ones that kind of tap into what we are as humans, you know, how we interact, how we communicate and our relationship with nature. So I think that's really important. And again, ties back to sustainability. I think the companies that can like achieve these things while protecting the planet will be the real winners in the long term.
1: There was a a data point in your report when you talked about how close the average human being is to a place of nature. And it sounds like we're getting further away. So even in the last couple of years, the number of kilometres or miles that the average person is from a place of nature has decreased. That obviously has huge implications on our health, um, on our connection to the planet, I guess from your research, what actual impact is that having on us?
0: I think it's kind of clear again, one of the things we experienced in the pandemic was how beneficial getting outside and getting into nature can be for us. And I guess what happens to us when we don't. And um, it's the things we know already. I mean, it, it reduces stress. It often involves exercise because you're getting outside, you're sort of getting out there, breathing in fresh air. I think also just really kind of gives the brain a chance to reset. I think a lot of our lives are so busy now, so full of distractions that it's a chance to get away from the noise of the city and the, you know, noise pollution and well, air pollution and really kind of refocus, reset, clear the mind, which obviously in a world of sort of increased urbanization is getting harder and harder. So it will only become more valuable.
1: So let's think about the practical application of this and therefore how it's going to affect how we live our lives in the future. You've talked about how birds influenced aviation, um, but there's also a piece in your forecast about how insects could be influencing how we travel in the future. So... Can you tell me a little bit about that? How, you know, how are insects? I mean, you read, I think we've talked on this podcast about how we might all be eating insects as a great source of uh, protein in the future. That is not what you're talking about here. It's about the way that they move, right? That that's going to impact how product might be made.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe we shouldn't eat too many of them because we might need them in the future. But I think it's, yeah, it's about the way they move, but also the way they kind of think and interact and they sort of swarm thinking. So We've seen insects inspire, you know, everything from, again, autonomous driving algorithms to sort of logistics in optimization. I mean, if you think of a colony of ants, for example, or bees, a beehive, that kind of teamwork and working together for the greater good is something that you can then model in an algorithm and really kind of benefit from. In terms of the kind of bodies of insects, it's everything from an insect with lots of limbs, inspiring a more agile robot to things like, you know, the insect with numerous eyes being the inspiration for facial recognition software. So the inspiration is everywhere. I mean, it's even with um, aviation, not in the sense of actual flight, but Airbus, the French company, have launched a new plane called Dragonfly. And by kind of mimicking the Dragonfly's ability to recognize locations, that's actually been able to help them with like automated takeoff and landing. So
1: it's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. So this isn't your day job, but you're a normal human being. Are there some examples you can give that people are going to find in their lives in the future that will have come from this, this way of working, this way of thinking?
0: It's, you know, it's not going to be long now until everyone is driving an electric car. We, you know we're seeing more and more of them on the roads all the time and every trade show i go to now the lineup is almost entirely electric and early stage development of batteries like way way before electric cars were even a thought was actually inspired by how electric eels generate their own power
1: i did not know that
0: yeah so so as time has gone on that's obviously been refined and tweaked slightly but the way that an electric eel works is still kind of essentially being used to determine how a battery in an electric vehicle might work today so that's fascinating and we could even end up at a point where we have sort of batteries that generate their own power so you you know you wouldn't have to sit around waiting to charge and all those kind of things so it'll get there
1: Amazing. That's really interesting. Okay, we are going to pivot and we're going to ask you some reoccurring questions that I ask all my guests to try and get to know you a little bit better. So we'll start with when and how do you prioritise yourself?
0: I think one thing that I've definitely got better at, and it's taken a bit of work, but it's just saying no to things. I think at the start of your career, it can be very tempting to sort of say yes to everything and grab every opportunity. I think that often can result in a lot of stress a lot of burnout i think actually it's about really kind of weighing it up thinking about which which opportunities are best for you which will really benefit you and then putting your all into those ones and i think that way you can you can still achieve a lot and you can still kind of
1: perform really well but you also keep your mental health in check Amazing. Amazing. Um, What will you eat if you're home alone and no one is watching? So
0: I'm I'm weird. I go through real phases. And at the moment, the obsession is radishes. It's just something about the kind of the freshness and the crunch. It's very satisfying.
1: What is your bad habit?
0: Humming. I'm a cereal hummer. (laughs) Not even the worst thing is it's not a song it won't be a tune it will almost just be kind of whale noises I'll just be sort of sat there humming away I think it's a thing that kind of helps me focus but it means that I have to make a real effort when I come into the office not to start doing it subconsciously and annoying everybody or freaking everyone out. I mean, so. I was going
1: to say next time I'm in the office, I'm going to see if there's like two vacant desks next to you. And now I will know why. <laughs> Probably.
0: Or you will just hear me from afar. So. so like a radar.
1: When did you last learn something new that had an impact on the way that you live your life?
0: Oh, it's, been, it's a big one. Oh, you know, at the moment, I'm in the very, very early stages of trying to learn Greek. And I think because it's, you know, it's an entirely different alphabet and i'm completely unfamiliar with it it almost feels like it's sort of unlocking a different part of my brain
1: and then we always put this question in because it's really useful for my tv viewing habits what was the last series you binge watched
0: so i i've just worked my way through the david beckham documentary and it's great it's just so nostalgic all the amazing like early 2000s fashion reliving all those moments So I'm hoping the fashion team's putting out some sort of Beckham core reports soon or something.
1: So I started my career as a journalist working on Glamour.com, so the digital arm of Glamour magazine. And the first thing I had to do when I got into the office every morning was kind of write up celebrity gossip. And so yeah i relived it in a similar way
0: oh no you weren't went part of the press that was hounding him were you i
1: uh, no, i was i was behind a computer
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know uh, obviously reporting on all of those things that were happening so, so did you write
0: about the sarong
1: oh definitely definitely wrote about the sarong yeah glam glamour loved victoria beckham and david beckham we had victoria on the cover quite a lot so yeah it was definitely nostalgic in a certain kind of way right We'll forget about Beckham's for a moment and we're going to get back onto a biomimicry topic of today. From the research that you've done and the forecasts that you've created, intelligence biomimicry, what should brands be taking away from that to future-proof their businesses?
0: I think the first thing is just the importance of investing in protecting biodiversity. I mean, biodiversity is our best defence against the climate crisis and without a planet, you don't have any business at all. So that's kind of step one. I think it's also what I've said before about shifting to a regenerative approach. Again, it's yeah it's something we talk about a lot at WGSN, but looking at how you can, you know, substitute harmful materials for ones that sort of rejuvenate, regenerate nature and kind of have their own energy and material systems. I think also if you're developing product. It's about tapping into kind of the range of senses that we have. So one of the things that becomes really clear from nature is that there's so many kind of forces and things going on that like that we're not even aware of. It's always been thought that humans have five senses, but recent research says that could be actually anywhere up to 53. So there's so many things out there that we can kind of connect with or sense. And I think by kind of researching these and tapping into these, it's just more ways for kind of getting your product to connect and resonate with people.
1: Okay, now I'm a bit obsessed. 53 senses.
0: Yeah, so. And I think also, like you can see in nature, you know, there's think you know, animals that can sense ultraviolet light or electromagnetic waves. And I think there's so many things out there that the more we explore that, I'm sure we'll uncover a whole amount more soon.
1: Another, I guess, input or inspiration from nature is the migratory patterns of birds. And my understanding is that that's informing algorithms that actually could help protect us against the climate crisis. Is this true? Where does this come from?
0: Yeah, it is. So there was a study of a bird called the viri, which is like a North American species of thrush. And they can effectively sort of predict the severity of a hurricane season. So from their migration patterns, you can judge how severe the hurricane will be. And in years where the hurricanes are going to be particularly bad, the birds will finish breeding sooner and they'll also migrate sooner. So it's just this really simple thing of observing nature to find a solution that you would spend so much money and time kind of developing an algorithm for when actually the answer's there already. I think why I really like that example is that kind of in the face of, you know, rapidly accelerating climate crisis, we're going to really need lateral thinking to find solutions. And I think again, nature, the way that it is inherently regenerative, the best system that we have will often, you know, have those answers.
1: Everything we're talking about sounds really lovely. It sounds great. It sounds aspirational. It sounds like the right thing to do. But there's reports out there that saying that this field could account for, and let me get my numbers right, 425 billion US dollars and 1.6 trillion total global output. So this is about cold, hard cash as well, right?
0: Yeah, I think it is. And I think Those figures are always quite hard to kind of comprehend or imagine. But what we do know is the kind of potential cost of the climate crisis. And I think that anyone that is finding solutions in nature not only has kind of a big opportunity to help out, but there is also this opportunity to make a lot of money doing so.
1: You know, when I was thinking about this conversation, you know, there are really kind of basic practical examples of this, you know, like packing material, you know, is is honeycomb shaped and that is inspired by the way that bees build their nests because it holds everything up. And there's really, really basic examples. And then you've got the far more kind of futuristic versions that you're talking about as well. But
0: also even those, you know, those really basic examples like you highlight there, they are saving brands loads of money because if you've got packing you know, honeycomb-inspired packing that protects your items better when you ship them, you're saving loads of money on, you know, damaged items from shipping. So they're sort of, a lot of the time, I think, fortunately, the sort of biomimicry-inspired solution will also be a really positive one financially as well.
1: Do you think that in the future, more brands are going to be using biomimicry? Do you think this is just going to be part of everyday best business practice?
0: I think they're going to really have no choice but to. I think if we are to tackle you know, the issues that we face, it will involve leaning into biomimicry and helping consumers connect back to nature. I think it's a real kind of selling point as well. I think we will see a lot more brands adopting these methods because it is a way of future-proofing. If you can be you know, sustainable, you can be regenerative, that is a way to have a business that will stand the test of time. So yeah, I really think we will.
1: It's interesting, this conversation, isn't it? Because it isn't just about, you know, nature's a very broad category. But, you know, the animal kingdom, you're talking about insects, you're talking about birds, you're talking about plant life, you're talking about ecosystems. And within all of all of those, there's just this wealth of opportunity. And we know as human beings that there are so many animals, there are so many parts of the world that are completely unexplored, if we think about our oceans that the idea that there are there are more solutions out there that we just haven't found yet is really exciting.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite hopeful, if anything. I mean, that's one thing I'd like people to kind of take from this is that there are yeah, there are so many solutions out there. And we can it's nice because it's a way that we can kind of progress without causing further harm or damage, which we have done for so long. So
1: this might be a slightly redundant question given what you've just said, but Are you more anxious or hopeful about the future of biomimicry?
0: I think as long as people implement it in the right way, then I am hopeful. I mean, I think it can only really be a positive. It's about, like I've said, kind of moving from this extractive relationship to this collaborative relationship with nature. And I guess, realizing that we are part of nature, we can't kind of separate ourselves from it, that doesn't work. So. I think I'm hopeful and I think as long as it's carried out in the right way, it can only be a positive.
1: So that's it for today. Thank you to my guest, Matt Zara, WGSN trend forecaster and editor of Consumer Tech. I do hope in this episode you learned something new, I certainly did, and I'm sure formed a view on today's topic. Next week, WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast is back with another episode exploring the concept of ageing well and the emergence of age-agnostic beauty. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time.